music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. Comedy comes in all different types and forms. There's slapstick, there's dark comedy, insult comedy, sketch, satire, prop, and many other forms. Typically here in North America, the most common topics that comedy seems to go for are everyday life and politics. Although alternative comedy does touch these subjects, it's less in a punchline and more in a journey. A journey that it can include many different types and forms of comedy. Mixing characters with observation, improvisation, slapstick, satire, and so much more. It's more of a conversation with the audience than it is a string of jokes. Whether it's through one-liners or a set that seems completely random but comes together in the end as the performer wraps it all up. It's surreal, and that's what makes it beautiful. Its rise to popularity through various comics in the early 2000s makes many question just exactly how alternative it is anymore, but many comics still keep its core alive. Nick Vaderot is one comedian who is doing exactly that. His bizarre characters and side-splitting stories that get out of hand quick helped him earn the Andy Kaufman Award back in 2011, an award that's given out to those who aren't afraid to take risks with their audience, who aren't afraid to work outside the conventional boxes of comedy and get away from the ordinary. Nick's stand-up and writing abilities have taken him across North America, performing numerous venues and stages, including appearances on Conan and The Late Night Show with Jimmy Fallon. The Hollywood Reporter named him one of their breakout performers at the prestigious Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal when Nick made his debut there. Chicago Magazine has also named Nick the funniest man in Chicago back when he lived there, and he has written for both MTV and Comedy Central, working on Mashup, the Critics' Choice Awards, and Goreburger. In 2014, Nick released For Amusement Only through Comedy Central, a CD that has received acclaim from Vulture, Laughspin, and Sidesplitter. I recently caught up with Nick when he was in Kelowna for the Just for Laughs Alternative Comedy Tour. This is episode 12 of the Desert Tiger Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. I am your host, as always, Colton Geschwantner. Before we get to our interview, you know that we like to play for you a song, as always. And today, our song comes to us from Pure October, whose bass player Spencer Peck messaged me on Facebook to tell me about his band, Pure October. Pure October are a pop rock triplet hailing from St. Louis, led by singer-songwriter Alex Edith, bassist Spencer Peck, and drummer Tom Getterman. Combining the energy and aggression of pop-punk with the strong-standing sentiments of hard rock music, Pure October has delivered many hit songs and shared the stage with bands such as Dangerous Kids, Vanna, The Former Me, Alistar Hennessy, and The Nearly Deads, and have taken their hometown by storm and hope to take the rest of America by storm soon too. Today I'm going to play a song for you by Pure October entitled Superheroes Can't Save Everyone. 
she wouldn't want to be safe Now I don't know what I'm supposed to do I never wanted this, I only wanted you When you call it quits, I sure hope you never see it through You don't attempt to suicide A mix of selfish lies and kryptonite Now I'm wondering if it's worth the fight Well I guess I'll save the world minus one tonight Say that you don't need one And it hurts to let you go But sometimes superheroes can't save everyone The Desert Tiger Podcast And boom Alright, we are here with funny guy, comedian Nick Vatterod How's it going? I'm in Kelowna, man. It can't go any better. Well, that's fantastic. I know, right? Mountains are I mean, gorgeous. Look at this view. view. I gotta say, most of the tour, the view out the window has been just of uh, an alley <laughs> or yeah, something. Yeah, definitely don't really have uh, much for landscape outside of the city, for sure. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty. These mountains out here, it's amazing. It's, this is, this is a, definitely the most beautiful... Uh, yeah, city on the tour so far. All right, so have you been out to BC before? Like, this is your first time in Kelowna. Have you ever been in Vancouver to perform, or? Um, you know, I, uh, I, you know, Vancouver. Yeah, first time I was on a cruise ship actually in um, 
and, and we stopped in Vancouver as part of the... Uh, really? Know, yeah, as part of the... I didn't really perform there. I don't know if I've actually performed in BC. I've been to Vancouver a bunch of times. Okay. No, that's right. I did open up for uh, for TJ at some big theater. The Vogue Theater, maybe. Oh, or something yeah. Like that. Definitely. Yeah. Right next, is it right next to some weird pinball place? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that. That was pretty fun. You that's know? awesome. That's a great city too. And oh, we're going to love Vi- it. We're going to Victoria, which I have never been to Victoria. I hear <sighs> it's beautiful. The island is amazing. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I'm actually going to be in Vancouver itself on this weekend. I wish I could go to the island, but I won't have time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's Sasquatch out there, right? Oh, I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> Want to find them one day? <laughs> some Bigfoot and just get some, uh, yeah, some weird, get some oysters and maybe some of that BC green, you know. <laughs> Which that's what I love out here so far. Like, you know, I'm keep, I'm keeping very close eye on the uh, marijuana. July 2018, that seems to be when it's, like, going legal. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because, like, throughout the country, it's still sort of vague. Like, I remember in Toronto, I was just like, so is it legal here? And just the whole audience was like, yeah, no, I don't know, what do you say? You know, like, uh, it's sort of vague. It's, like, legal, but it's not le- like yeah. they, they, Like, there's stores where you can smoke, but you can't buy it anywhere yeah exactly right like there's lounges in vancouver where you can go and smoke a hookah but you can't buy it and walk out with it so weird man (sighs) i remember you know how dabs are a big thing yeah right now we did dabs we did the so i'm in a group heavyweight with tj miller brady novak mark rotterman um and uh we've been together for like 12 i don't know some odd years. Too okay. long. I'm aging yeah. myself if I say that. We, we've been together for a long time, and we did the uh, Just for Laughs Toronto Festival years ago. Yeah. We had to perform at the Rivoli, you know, the Kids in the Hall, that, that big uh, theater there. But we were like, this had to been like, oh, it was a long time ago. It was like 2006, maybe. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, we we had we'd gotten some weed from some other comic, and then we yeah. were like walking around Toronto, and there was this big pot leaf in the store, and then we went in, we walked upstairs, and it was like, yeah, you pay five dollars, they let you smoke inside, and this guy he had, you know, which I guess would I would find out years later was dabs, yeah. But I was just like, what is this blowtorch liquid thing he's doing? And he was like, do you want to try it? And I was like, sure. And I think, I can't remember who did it first, if it was like Brady who did it first. But Brady was like, he, he got so high, he like sat down. He's like, I've never been this high in my life. Yeah. And he's like, I feel crazy. I don't know what's happening. And so then each of us were like, well, I got to do it. Well, I got to do it, you know. <laughs> and I just remember we were so tore up. At one point, I remember like just we were all looking at each other. I was so high, I looked at him and I go... I know that I know these guys, but I don't know how I know them, or I don't know how we're, where we are, how we got here. I knew I had a show that night, but I couldn't tell you one sketch that was going to be in our show. <laughs> and at one point, Brady leans forward and he goes, all right, I, I, let's just say that we can all just safely assume that we're not going to be able to do the show tonight. And we yeah. all just like kind of nodded our head, yes, <laughs> and like... 
<laughs> yeah, man. It was like, I think I threw up in the bathroom. Oh, it was man. bad. And then by the time the show rolled around that night, I was just regular high. <laughs> uh, but that was like, that was, that was like, and then years, I didn't know what that, for years, I didn't know yeah. what we did. And then dabs became a big thing. And I was like, <laughs> God, we did dabs. Like Toronto was doing it before anybody, you know? Oh, right. I remember we had them like in Regina, like once a while beforehand. And like me and my, one of my friends were at our buddy's house and, you gotta try this out. You gotta try this out. So, yeah. like, I take my first one, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> like, my buddy takes his, and for the next 20 minutes, he doesn't say a single thing. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's just like, man, I can't talk. I need water, and then we need to go. It's like, I can't handle it. It's so bad. It's not even fun. <laughs> I can't handle it. Have you done them since then? Uh, yeah, I actually have my green card, so I, like, have some quite often. Really? I have a pen for it, so. Do you not get it? I don't know. I've done them once or twice, and I'm just, I get so high that I'm like, this isn't even, this is more like work. (laughs) This isn't even a relaxing thing anymore. Now I'm just, like, just letting my brain sort of battle itself. It's like, if. If I don't want to burn out right. and I need to get high, I do it because it's like, it puts me in the state where I'm constantly like thinking. Yeah. yeah. Because it's constantly just like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. But you just never end up getting there. Like if I end up smoking, like there's always the chance that it's like, oh, I might end up passing out before I end up having to drive home. Or... Right. <laughs> Did you ever do uh, salvia? Oh, that's what I started out with. <laughs> <laughs> Who starts out with salvia? I had, my my friends <laughs> thought it was a great idea, so I was like, "Oh, yeah, because sure, you can legally get it." I guess. Oh yeah, exactly. It's easier to get. Exactly. It was yeah. way easier to get. I could just walk into the local head shop and just pick it up. Yeah. So it was super easy, and then we ended up going out to like my buddy's farm to do it. Okay. And he had like this brick like basketball court outside. Right. And I thought it was spikes everywhere and yeah. i was like trying to like walk amongst the spikes oh my and then God. i threw up and then like his dog came up to try and comfort me and like i can't even remember what i thought the dog was and it was like i'm just panicking. some sort of spirit animal oh exactly yeah. and it's just like i'm and then i'm just staring out into the horizon and my friends are like man we thought you were just gone <laughs> <laughs> i can't imagine starting with salvia and then smoking weed after that had been oh like, what is this like? See, you know, nothing. I actually smoked it the exact same day. Okay. Because it was like my friend's brother right away was just like, his name was Jason. He's just like, oh man, like you guys had him smoke salvia before he, he smoked pot. Like you guys <laughs> are dicks. So it's just like, I'm going to go get high. And I was like, like. You, you say this will help, right? Right. Like, I, I just feel, like, gross, and salvia just isn't my thing. And he's like, yeah, this will help. So it was like, uh, my first day smoking pot was actually the exact Jeez. same day. I guess, you know what? You can wait in, or you can just jump, do a cannonball into the, <laughs> into the, into the mine, I guess. I guess, right? <laughs> do you have any good salvia stories, or? I think I did it, I did it twice, and then, uh... The first time was like, I used to work at this restaurant and there was this one sort of like fratty, like dude, dude that I was like buddies with, you know? Yeah. And, uh, like this dude was hilarious. He was just like, cause you know how you like hate frat guys? Oh, of course. But then like, you'll like, they're supposed to be dicks, but like, there's always like that one connection you have with them. Like, shit, he's actually an okay guy. Right. Yeah. You get why they're, you know, like why they could be, you know, like, which I also like, I guess any, (laughs) 
I think every group of all people are terrible. You oh, know, like oh, everyone every, has their short or you know, falls, right? Every like, just you know, men and you know Americans and just everybody is like you know if you but 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 individually like people are great and you know like oh, you can just of course right frat guys are terrible but then you like work with the dude and he's hilarious and he's like just a meathead and loves you know working out and drinking beers and you know you guys get a kick out of each other this dude like used to like uh <laughs> he's pretty he was he was like uh he was hilarious you know yeah. and he like he like used to tour with matchbox 20 oh shit uh, i mean not tour with them like follow them like like a oh deadhead. really yeah <laughs> like and i, I always oh, thought that man. was so funny i'd be like but don't they do the same you know the, the, the whole point of touring with like fish or grateful day is that they do a different set every time they perform yeah um most bands don't do that yeah matchbox 20 mm. has not even 20 songs i don't think and mm-hmm. uh, and he's just like he just loved so he's hilarious and he was a dude that was just like dude we smoked this and frat guys especially in college like a lot of them like they didn't smoke weed they made fun of people who smoked weed yeah and and he was like dude we used to he's like we got this we got this weed that's so good you trip and like you've heard that a million times of course by right? amateurs you know and I've smoked so much weed. I got an eight foot bong at my house. You know, I got I got a three chamber hookah. You know, I'm like, uh, I'm not gonna trip, dude. I'm not gonna trip. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's saying this for like two months, months. He keeps telling me. Mm-hmm. So one night after work, he's like, dude, do you you know how I keep telling you about that weed that'll make you trip, man? And I was like, he's like, hey, do you want to come to my buddy's house and we'll smoke it? I'm like, sure. Yeah. You know, I'll humor him. Of course, right? We'll we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, at, at worst case scenario, I'll just be very high. Exactly. I didn't know it was salvia. I don't think he knew it was salvia. He just <gasps> oh, thought it was weed. Man. And I I literally smoked it, and the weed it was the smoke was inside of me. And then I looked at I looked at both of them, and my first and I blow it all out. And first thing I said is I go. What have you guys done to me? And, uh, and they, of course, they start dying laughing. And then I once I was like, okay, he always told me this is like, it's like 15 minutes and it wears off, you know? Because I had that fucking, I had that real high thought of like, am I going to be like this forever? Oh, you yeah, know? of course, right? Where it's like, oh, no. I'm a crazy I'm guy. Yeah. Just always I'm going to be that guy who thinks he's a carrot forever. Forever. <laughs> I gotta tell my mom I'm a carrot. She's gonna she's gonna cook me up and eat me and serve me to the neighbors. Um, but then I, I was like, all right, he's been right about every. He was right about it, literally making me trip. Oh so yeah, of I, course, right. So once I was like, he's probably right about it being over in 50 minutes, and I kind of like enjoyed it for the next 15 minutes, and it yeah. was pretty fun. Uh, and then another time, I smoked it, me and my buddy. I go, I. And I was like, all right, we got 15 minutes before it wears off. And he's like, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, let's just let's just start running. He's like, okay. So we opened the door, just started running. We got to a tree. We just started climbing the tree. Mm-hmm. And then it was funny. It wore off halfway up the tree. It just me and my buddy are up this tree. And I was like, I'm done. He's like, yeah, I'm done. He's like, should we get out of this tree? <laughs> and the tree's like right on the side of this busy intersection and stuff. I mean, oh, man. drugs, man. Yeah, we did, uh, we climbed trees on mushrooms once. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, it was an amazing experience, because, like, I didn't even feel it, like, I didn't feel like it was actually, like, heavy on my arms or anything, like, it yeah. just hang there and, like, just swing. It was like, we were playing football, and there's a bunch of frat guys around us, and, like, they're just staring at us, because they're like, why the fuck 
these kids enjoy football so much. <laughs> That's so funny. Just like it makes a lot of things. Like, I felt like a dog, right? It right. was just like this is so satisfying. I understand what <laughs> fetch is like. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I wonder if a dog's mind is just a guy is just like high all the time. You know, <laughs> right? like, it's just like constantly enjoyed and just like, oh my god, patterns. Oh my god, right. people. Oh my god. Recognizing things. <laughs> oh, it's all connected, you know? <laughs> Food. <laughs> and fuck these cats. <laughs> fuck these cats. They're in a shitty mood and they're always ruining my vibe, man. Just get out of here, you cat. Cats are the frat guys. Of yeah, exactly, right? They're the guys that are sitting there telling you, like, it's bad for you. Yeah. You can have a bad trip. And you're like, no, you're fucking with my mind, bro. Fucking cat. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's awesome. So you're currently on the alternative tour with Reese Dalby and TJ Miller. Alternative comedy tour. Alternative comedy. Reese Dalby, TJ Miller. How's that just going for you guys? It's a blast, man. Yeah? It's absolutely a blast, yeah. Um, yeah, TJ and Reese are uh, obviously just great. You know, the, I think one of the cool things about this tour is that as comedians, uh, we don't get a chance to see each other do long sets a lot. You know, like I feel like in New York and L.A., even Chicago, you know, like you're on these shows where it's like eight comics on a show. Everyone does seven to ten minutes Mm -hmm. and you get to you get to, you know, enjoy everybody in that fashion. But you don't get a chance to really like watch somebody own a room for an hour. No, exactly. Actually, like capture them and hold them. Yeah. It, it takes real talent, right? Like, and, and and also everyone does it a different way too. Definitely. And like uh, it's you know, um, you know, TJ. Obviously, I've known for. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm familiar with him because I've you know known him for so long. Yeah. Uh, and and he's you know he's so improvisational that it's it's never the same show. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it's never even. You know, it goes everything from certain stories and bits have nuances in them to every night to just there's just whole chunks that are improvised based on something that happened to that day. Yeah. And uh, that mixed in with his sort of a lot of pre-planned absurdity bits. He's doing this mime thing right now. It's really fun. And just in this crowd interaction is just, you know, just the, the best of anybody around. And so it's very mm. fun to watch him on the room that way. It's so funny. And then Reese is just like an amazing performer. I mean, he's just like... Uh, you know, to, to be able to tour with somebody who's just so, so good, so funny and just like, uh, you know, he's just a very, you know, he's very physical, you know, he's got these stories with all these amazing characters and bouncing Mm -hmm. around, just utilizing the entire stage. And so I feel like both of those guys own the, own their, you know, sort of chunk in a, you know, in a, in a different way. And it's very, fun and inspiring to watch these guys like do that you know and i'm you know and and like it is it's the alternative comedy tour and like you know i think tj is very you know he's so interactive that it it's sort of like i've seen how that sort of helps him connect with the audience to sort of you know make the more alternative you know bits sort of resonate with everybody Mm -hmm. and and reese is just you know i saw him at the comedy store um like a like a week before, you know, we were going on tour together. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was, I was telling him, you know, uh, uh, which, you know, I was trying to compliment him in the way that, like, I think it's so, um, 
I think it's so interesting that he's like, uh, you know, the comedy store is a very clubby room. Yeah. I feel like alternative comedy doesn't always work in those rooms. And he's just, he's just funny. So he's just able, like, it, the room doesn't matter to him. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's a clubby room or an alt room. He's, you know, he just does his thing and crushes, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, that's inspiring, too, to see, like, you know, somebody sort of like just kind of stick to their guns and make it work everywhere, you know? Yeah, So exactly. the tour has been all that. I mean, that's, and then also like seeing all these cities and going to all these Canadian cities I've never mm-hmm. been to is a lot of fun too, you know? Get to do Winnipeg where like the, uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin got to perform in that theater. There, yeah. The Burton Cummings Theater. Yeah, no uh, doubt. That's yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And these venues are just huge, you know? So that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Getting to perform in front of a bigger audience, especially for a longer period of time, is yeah. way different than that much more crowded lineup where you're just like, you get to experience everybody. But once again, like you said, like you kind of get robbed of the full experience of everybody. Right. Yeah. It's just logistically impossible unless mm-hmm. even in New York, no one's even doing really, you know, in New York and in L.A., I don't know where anybody in L.A. is. I guess maybe the improv, you know, um, you know, but I'm just not seeing anyone do like our sets. I mean, yeah. in New York, I think at, at Gotham Comedy Club, people in, in Caroline's, you know, and then I guess like you get your Chappelle's and, the, you know, the, the people that will do an hour no matter where they go. Oh, exactly. At. Like the key name comedians. Right. But outside of those places, I mean, everyone's doing their hour on the road. They're doing them in the, the, the you know, on the, in the towns across the country. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you just don't get a chance to see everybody do their thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Like, how does, how do you fit into the whole mix? Like, you are the MC type position. Yeah, I'm a not? third wheel. I'm a, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, uh, you know, I'm like, they couldn't find a babysitter, so they brought me to the party. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, you're the babysitter? Shit. <laughs> they wanted to leave me at home and have someone watch me, but I was just, you know, mm-hmm. all my babysitters, uh, they quit. You know, I made them oh, quit. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, no, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm not used, I, I, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, as you sort of come up, you you, it's interesting, you know, when you're a comic, you need you need to figure out open mic rooms. And open mic rooms are just making other comics laugh. Yeah. So the second you do that, now you have to get into clubs, which those aren't comic audiences. So you have to make sure your sensibility that you learn making other comics laugh. Yeah. Now you got to make it that, that okay, you have to that has nothing to do with you, you know, or not as much to do with, uh, you know, you making regular regular people laugh you know mm-hmm. non-comics and then uh the second you can do that then um then you 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 get in and you have to start hosting which yes. is something you were not doing before so now mm-hmm. you have to learn hosting and then the second you learn hosting uh, then you go up and you start featuring or middling which mm-hmm. now you're not doing any of the things that you learned you know mm-hmm. to host you mm-hmm. know and so it's funny like every time you learn something it gets you to the next thing it all helps you. Yeah. You know, uh, having having good host chops helps you when you're middling or featuring or headlining. But, you know, it's just not the same muscle. So I haven't, like, hosted in a very long time. Yeah. Because I've been, uh, you know, uh, doing my thing. And uh, so to come to go kind of return back to host, you know, is a different muscle, uh, you know. But uh, mm. it's, it's, it's fun. These audiences have been great. They're like, you know, it's not like... 
It's not like when I first started hosting when I went to a room and half the people got free tickets. Yeah. You know, and or were dragged there by their, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or just mm-hmm. people were like looking for something to do, don't even really like comedy or whatever. Um, people are amped for these shows. Yeah. You know, like they actually want to see comedy. It yeah. has that Just for Laughs name attached to it. So they actually know what they're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's pretty great. You know, mm-hmm. it, it makes my job a lot easier yeah without a doubt yeah and so it's fun to sort of like be a host type person you know sort of like welcome them you know try to sort of be just connect with them in a way and then try to ease into some of the more alternative you know sensibilities i have in that 13 minute window i have to yeah to open up with like, is your window a little, like, spread out? Like, are you in between both of the guys? Yeah, or? I get to do, I do, you know, I do about, like, you know, about 13-ish at the top. And then yeah. I, I do another five in between Reese and, and TJ, okay. you know. So, 18 minutes altogether yeah. isn't bad at all. Yeah, it's fun. And I've been, like, mixing it up on the tour because I feel like, you know, um, yeah, I just kind of like, it keeps it interesting for me. Definitely. And, uh, you know. And some rooms are different than others, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I do feel like I go to one place and I kind of feel, you know. There's also been a couple sets where I went out there with one plan and then it just went, you know, I wound up mm-hmm. doing a completely different act than I intended on just on the energy of the moment and that oh, audience exactly. and that show. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing less time, so I feel like... Um, uh, why not sp- spread, you know, instead of, I'm not doing an hour every night, but I yeah. guess I'm doing an hour over the course of like five or six shows. So I kind of like, you know, do it, you a room. do it. Yeah. Do, do the hour over the course of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> five or six days. Uh, but no, I'm so like, you know, uh, uh, uh gracious to, you know, be part of this awesome tour. And, oh, definitely. Uh, it's and, a stacked lineup. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. It's good to be a part of. So you kind of like talked about like building up in comedy and all that. So like, where are you from? And like, how did you get your start inside of comedy? Like, when did you decide like this was something you could possibly like be a part of? I think like definitely, you know, as the kid who uh, all his friends were like, you should do comedy, you should do comedy growing up and everything, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is always funny when you bomb. And then someone's like, you shouldn't do this. And you're like, this was never my idea. You know, like, I only, I'm only doing this because everyone told me to. And now you're telling me not to do. You know, this, those, those, those early days are, are fun and confusing when you're eating shit. And you're like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I thought it'd be fun. But I, it was really the encouragement of everybody yeah. uh, to say to try this. And then I, I think I, I, I was in the University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there was a... Uh, I was doing a couple things. I was doing, I, I wrote this humor column for the newspaper called My Humble Opinion. It, it got pretty good. It was received very well. And yeah. then, um, and people on campus like really liked it and were very supportive of it. And so it was like my first like, uh, you know, encouraging thing in comedy that I could write. I could try to be funny in this thing and people would be like, yeah, it's fun, you know? Yeah. I was like, okay, so it's not just my buddies that think I'm funny. I can be funny to people who don't even know me. Mm-hmm. So that's like the very first thing. And so then there was this improv group, uh, Comedy Wars. My roommate uh, was like, uh, hey, do you want to do this comedy group? 
And I was like this improv group, and I did that and became friends with these guys that I'm still friends with to this day. You yeah. Know? So my closest friends, and that was a lot of fun. And then the local comedy club had a, a contest, and you know, and one of the guys in the improv group signed us all up, and we all did stand up for the first time there. Oh, really? And then I just started eating shit in school you know <laughs> i was failing at all my classes i was doing terribly but the only things i wasn't doing bad at that i was excited about doing were the you know the the newspaper article the yeah. the, the improv every week and then you know when these stand-up contests would come around and so uh second city you know theater came through chicago or came from chicago through columbia missouri and i was like these guys are doing they're touring yeah. doing the same thing we're doing every week that's a job? No right. way. <laughs> so I was like, I want to move to Chicago because I bet you could do stand-up there. And so then I moved to Chicago, and that's mm-hmm. why I started doing sketch and improv and stand-up and met TJ and all these other, oh, like, you know, okay. comics, uh, you know, that, uh, Brady and, you know, Mark and, and Heavyweight, my sketch group, and all these. And just started, kept, you know, doing it and doing it and doing as much as I could get my hands on. And then, uh, yeah, was there for, like, seven years, and then eventually... I was always curious on what was going on stand-up-wise in New York, so I eventually yeah. went to New York. Well, it's the Big Apple, right? Yeah. It's where dreams either thrive or die. It's Yeah, it's where stand-up those... started. And exactly. You, and it's the biggest stand so I had to go up there and see what was happening, and mm-hmm. I went, yeah. So how was, how was the New York experience for you once you got there? Like, what were your expectations going in, and how did it receive you? I think it's uh I think it's fine. I always think New York is like the best and worst city in the world. Yeah. You know, I really do. And I think uh I have uh you know, I met a lot of great friends up there. I met a lot of uh amazing comedians up there uh and a lot of uh great places to perform there. And uh and I you know, and I think the I think I became I think New York definitely made me uh a way better comic. You know, okay. Um, you know, I think Chicago is very. Uh, Chicago is really great for um, feeding the creative aspect of performing. You know, yeah, like definitely. trying things out, doing different things. Um, you know, and then New York, it, I don't know, I, I, but I don't know. I, I also have like, um, you know, I don't know. I think I also thought things that I thought things were happening up there that I got up there that weren't really happening. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, um, yeah, it, 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 I, I don't know. It was, there's a lot of things I loved about the New York comedy scenes. A lot of things I was sort of, I guess, disappointed in it, you know, uh, wasn't quite as big as you expected it to be. It might've been too big, you know, it might've, might've been, uh, you know, it might've been a thing where like, um, you know, in, in, in Chicago, you could kind of go up. If you kind of went out every night mm-hmm. for a couple months, you eventually got a sense of everything that was happening in the scene. Yeah. You know, everything, everybody who was in the scene. Mm-hmm. New York, I would spend years there and I would meet a comic who was also spent years there and we never, you know, we were both, we're both like, did you just move here? <laughs> no, I've been here for seven years. Did you just move here? No, I've been here for 10 years. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know. There was a lot of like... I don't know, you, you know, people like, 
you know, no one watches each other. They do their set and then they leave, you know, yeah. or they come in right before their set, which I understand when you're running around doing as many sets. Well, that's what a lot of people will do is they'll try and book as many places as they can and they'll just jump on transit right. and they'll get to the next place, hopefully in time. And which is great, which I love that, you know. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it, it, it's not really supportive of the scene at all. You know, maybe it's like the idea of like, you're always going to maybe have an affinity for when you started out. Yeah, you know, and like those those conversations and those people and those experiences, maybe you just sort of like, you know, you look back on those days, you know, uh, and to compare anything to that is unfair, you know. Well, it's hard because it's all so fresh and it's all new back then, right? Where it's it's all a fresh experience, and then you're experiencing it for the first time, and then after yeah. a while, it just becomes like, well, New York, I thought it was going to be different, but it's just, it's not really what you ever thought it was going to be, and then it's like, you sort of like start to miss like what you came from, just because it's like your expectations there were lower than you set the bar, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think another huge problem with New York is that, is, is that, Okay, so in Chicago, there's nothing to get. Okay. Okay? Uh-huh. There's nothing to get. There's... there's Dry. You, you, you're just so... Comedy you, drought. No laughs to be had. Well, I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, like, I think, like, like job-wise. You know? Okay. Like, 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 there is... Um, there's... If you, there's nothing to get, so there's nothing to lose. Uh-huh. So, it, 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 I think that is that fosters a very, like, uh, interesting, you know, scene where people... Uh, they don't feel the need to play it safe. They, 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 yeah. they maybe experiment because uh, there's nothing. Who cares? If I crush or I bomb, yeah. I'm still working at TGI Fridays tomorrow. <laughs> I'm still, there's still no agents or managers or, sh- you know, there's no, there's no industry in the audience. There's no, I don't know if like New York is just like, because there's like, things to get people are just sort of like oh well so and so got this and so there's animosity towards each other a little you know? more cutthroat and yeah a little less supportive it's like it's not as supportive it's like by the way it's still very supportive there's oh, still like course. amazing there's, circles I'm of sure people there's still you know? amazing yeah. people new york is huge and there's got to be a ton of great comics there right it's it's it just it feels weird what it gets there's some of these guys there that i just thought were like amazing you know mm-hmm. uh girls they're just people that did just amazing stuff and like i felt the scene didn't really celebrate them as much yeah uh because it was the, more of a jealousy than i don't know like there's you know god i don't even i don't even want to say names because i want to feel like I don't, I don't want that person to hear this and be like you didn't think it worked out for me you know but I'm, <laughs> i mean it in a way of like there's comics I just thought were brilliant, and I was like, "Why is the scene not like this? Is like the funniest person? They should be flourishing. Scene. They should be, but instead they're like sort of you know uh, building up these like you know. I, that's when I first started to realize of like, oh, funny is not the most important thing. I feel no. like in Chicago, funny was the most important because the comics were this. The it's comics talent were the industry. should be the most important thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it became it became something else, and uh, you know, and it just sort mm-hmm. of, um, yeah, you know, I felt okay. like I I got I started getting bored going to shows, you know, and I was just like, you know, I started to become the guy who would leave early because I just got 
bored. You know, just that's used like, to it all. It's and... just like it's just another guy talking about Trump. You know, ten guys talking yeah. about Trump in a row. Ten guys talking about it just became the same thing. I started, it, it's funny and it's current, but not everybody can do the exact same thing. It's everyone, it, it became too small. It became exactly what you're saying. It you was, boxed it was, yourself in. It was too similar. I just saw. Mm-hmm. I would see the same comic go up over and over and over. Now, granted, you know, wildly generally, there were so many amazing, unique, great comedians, or even comedians that were doing things that everybody else was doing. They were just doing it the best. Yeah, of everybody, and they were hilarious, you know. Um, but um, yeah, it's sort of that watching people take chances and do different things. I just, it's, it just got, it felt watered down. Mm-hmm. But I, but I also like, uh, it's also there was just so much. There's so much more of it, mm-hmm. you know. Like there's just so much. Uh, I don't know. I think I thought in New York there would be this crazy alternative scene up there. Yeah. You know, we're talking about alternative comedy where people were just doing just bizarre and crazy things. And I thought, I always felt like the people doing like the most bizarre stuff were sort of shoot aside and were outcasts and not really celebrated. And like the people that were like, well, the people who are willing to push the bar are seen as off because a lot of people don't like change because it's threatening to them and they don't want to adapt with the times, which, yeah, it's it is like maybe that's against them, maybe it's not. But if you're unwilling to accept that that's part of comedy, that's that's against you. Yeah, I mean Sam Kinison, who you know was alternative in a very uh, not traditionally alternative way. Yeah, you know, but he, I think he's quoted as saying, you know, uh, stand up as an art form dies if you don't constantly try to expand it. You Without know, a doubt. And so, you know, and, uh, you know, see, like, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, to see, to see people sort of like, you know, the Manhattan. I have a joke about, like, Manhattan comedy is like, what's the most un-PC thing I can say? Yeah. And Brooklyn is, what's the most PC thing I can say? <laughs> and LA's, uh, I'm a famous surfer, you know? <laughs> like, it's just like... I would go to Manhattan shows and it would just be like, you know, just come, 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 pussy, pussy, come, pussy, come, fuck this guy, fuck yeah. this guy, all this stuff. That being said, you know, and then I would go to Brooklyn and it was all like, it was all like gender, 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 race, race, <laughs> gender, gender, prejudice, race, social, social, commentary, Trump, Trump, Trump. And I was, yeah. it just became the same thing after a while. Don't get me wrong. There was people doing pussy, come, fucking shit that I was losing I was laughing so hard I was crying. Yeah. That are amazing at it. There was people I was seeing in Brooklyn that are doing social commentary, you know, race prejudice, all this social stuff that I was in tears laughing at. Mm. But when everyone's doing it, it's just sort mm. of like... Uh, Who stands out if everybody's doing the exact same thing? If everyone made jokes about 18-wheeler trucks, it would just get, mm-hmm. you know... And then I also felt it became more... Uh, also, I think you become... You start to dance into a... Uh, a dangerous place, which is yeah. it becomes less about funny, but more about what's the most offensive thing I can say. How and, can you push the issue? Yeah. And it's like, so Manhattan's like less about funny, more what's the most offensive thing I can say. Brooklyn is it's less about funny. What's the most like socially conscious thing I can say. Mm. And it's just like, it should just be what's the funniest thing I can exactly. say. Exactly. You know? It's it is like areas shouldn't be like holding themselves back just by like what the people in that area believe. Like funny is funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like 
that's the beautiful thing about the alternative scene is it's so many different directions. It's so many different possibilities. Right. It's so many different options that like it's beautiful and it's to pigeonhole yourself is it's ridiculous. And like, you know, and even alternative comedy, yeah. there's a lot of alternative comedy that I hate. Oh, of because course. it's the same mm. thing. It's alternative just for alternative. It still mm. needs to be funny. You know, you can't be offensive just for offensive, socially conscious just for socially conscious, or alternative just for the sake of alternative. It that, needs to be funny. It has to have some sort of it has to have jokes. And, and yeah, if you do that, you're only going to be able to perform in those areas where those things are accepted. As soon as you try and break out of that, yeah. if you can't adapt to the scene in somewhere else. You're gonna be a fish in water, like God. Yeah, is it's like what are you gonna do? Like, there's a million other fish in the sea that are doing the exact same thing. Uh, Yeah, that's you have to set yourself apart from everybody. Exactly. You can either be Bill Burr and be the funniest guy. Yeah, and just be like, well, my thing is I'm the funniest guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm the one who doesn't jerk off in front of people. (laughs) (laughs) That's my thing. Uh, You know, but. yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, there's so many times I would see, like, I would see somebody come up and be like, you know, they would just say something, and I can't really think of a good, they'd be like, and I just, you, you gotta, you gotta go out and vote, because if you don't vote, and they would have, like, a five-minute rant about how people need to vote. Yeah. But there was no jokes, and they would end with it by going, yeah, I guess, okay, I, I guess it's not really, there's nothing, this isn't really a joke, but I just, I just, you guys need to vote. And I'm like, you're not telling jokes, man. You're, you know? you're not a comedian at that <laughs> Be point. You're funny. a public speaker. Yeah, you're public. <laughs> they get public speaking confused with, uh, you know, and then also just like, you know, people going out being like, uh, hey, what are you, uh, what are you from? Uh, what are you? From, what are you? Are you up, uptight? You know, uh, you, mm-hmm. with these, uh, with these, uh, look at these faggots over here. Oh, you guys are uptight. And it's like you just mm-hmm. said faggots for no reason. There was no joke in it. You said it to be edgy. It's edgy, and there was nothing there. And mm-hmm. it's uh, and then you, now you're yelling at the audience about being uptight. Like they're not uptight. You just didn't have a punchline to the thing, man. No, exactly. Like yeah. you, you're just trying to push an issue. <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> now I'm getting you sick. <laughs> sorry. You're just trying to push an issue rather than actually trying to be funny and. That's robbing the people of their time and their money. That's and it's robbing yourself. You know, if they want to hear that stuff, they're they're gonna go listen to a rally. They're gonna yeah. go find that stuff on Facebook or on YouTube. It's already all over the place. Yeah, you're a comedian. Yeah, but yeah, I hope I'm not painting it as too you know uh, dwelling too much on the on the parts that I was sort of annoyed by. You know, no there worries. Is, there is so much great comedy. There is so many like great absurd comics up there. Alternative comics, Brooklyn oh, comics man. that are doing so much stuff. Manhattan comics that just there is like there is a thing that both comics need to you know like the one thing that the Brooklyn comics need to uh, learn from the Manhattan comics is to come in and just crush. Yeah, just come in and be fun. Just tight material. You know, if you if you give, you know, if you're given ten minutes. Do 10 minutes of jokes. Yeah. Kill it. Crush it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you would see the... Because, like, alter, a lot of times these, alter, you know, Brooklyn alternative guys, they come up there and they lean on the microphone and they get out a piece of paper and they're like, I don't even know what I want to talk about tonight. Yeah. And then they're just like, you know, but then conversely, I think, like, a lot of the Manhattan guys could be like, step outside of your comfort zone for a little bit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. do do... 
I don't know what it is. Bill Burr doesn't need to do characters. Or, yeah. I, I mean, he's he's already doing characters, but he doesn't need to like put on a costume. He doesn't need to have some sort of weird sound cue. He doesn't need that. Yeah. But and I'm not saying everybody needs that, but like I don't know. There's a lot of more experimenting happening in Brooklyn, and I like why not bring that to the comedy clubs? No, know? exactly. That's it. Is see where you can take it. See what people are willing to laugh to because. Anything can be funny if yeah. you if you can push it in the right direction. Yeah. So it's just it is like once again edging your holding yourself and not being able to push yourself and your material and possibly see what is funny. What is the next possible big thing and funny? Yeah. Is it is like you can't move forward if you're still stuck behind. Yep. Yep. I mean, it, yeah. It's a yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be a bummer for stand up in general if it just continues to be the same thing yeah okay so like we're talking about like comedians improving over the years and we've talked like about <laughs> how like you've gone from like different situations in comedy how has your routine improved like throughout that like i don't know if it's improved per se <laughs> <laughs> you know i think i'm uh, a lot more improvisational than i used to be okay. i think i uh, i think especially early on i was very meticulous about every word and moment in my set well you get a little like when you first start out you're you're not as comfortable about it and you're worried that like if you say something different or you say like you don't say it like the right way that like people aren't going to catch it as well and like once you actually start performing a bit it's like okay like i can actually like i can bury this a bit i can actually like feel with it like i can take it and i can take it for a walk yeah yeah that's interesting yeah once you have a bit or a chunk that you're comfortable in i think that's like the training wheels for improv improvisation improv yeah yeah i don't know the word myself but uh yeah you know improvising inside of the material is the training wheels to improvising in your set you know uh you know you tell a joke so many times you start to riff a, a tag here or an act out there or yeah. add in a thing and then you get comfortable with that and then you have these like you know thoughts on stage that you start getting more confident with exploring mm-hmm. and knowing when to you know pull the parachute on a riff you yeah. know and, or, or, or know when to heighten it and kind of keep going mm-hmm. and exploring and see how far you can kind of take know it. when you have the crowd and yeah. know when you're losing them because yeah. that's one actual like real big thing where it's like knowing how to actual like what your crowd wants and how to capture them that's important yeah 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 knowing reading an audience knowing what they want you know or also like trying to give them something that they didn't expect you know? yeah definitely right like if you can surprise them and catch them off guard yeah like that's almost when you make them laugh the most because it's just because they weren't expecting it. They didn't think you were going to go there. Like I think that's more memorable, too, when people laugh in a way they haven't laughed before. Exactly, know? right? Like, yeah. you actually remember that, where it's just like... Because you've heard so many jokes about the same thing, where it's like, three people walk into a bar, blah, 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 like, all this other stuff. And where it's like, if it's something that, like, hits you in that different way, it sticks with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why Andy Kaufman was, like, so made such an impression on me because i was like i didn't know you could be like that yeah you know like he was just so willing to go out there and he pushed the issues he wasn't willing to take things out there and then like you completely bring it back yeah at the exact same time like yeah that mickey mouse thing he did (laughs) 
you people are like this is hilarious. Yeah. You know, something I never would have thought of. There mm-hmm. are those jokes where you're like, oh, I'm laughing because I've thought something like this. And mm-hmm. then it's like, this is... Where it's just absolutely like where it's, how did somebody come up with this, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Where, like, it's funny, but it's like, how did we get here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Desert Tiger Podcast. been thinking a lot about you and I can't get you off my mind And it's like you live there And the rent is way past due But I think I'll let it go this time Because to me there's something special Yeah, there's something special to me Thank you.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. Oh, you actually ended up winning the Andy Kaufman Award at one point, did you not? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, 2010? Was Something it? like that. Okay. Yeah, it was. that was pretty fun. It's supported, it, that's a great, you know, the Andy Kaufman Award, um, you know, it's it's great that they sort of, you know, uh, his brother sort of is, a, is, a, is the major proponent uh, for... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and his sister's supportive on it too, and like, they, they just sort of try to kind of keep the spirit of him going and also just sort of celebrate, you know, sort of like uh, taking unique approaches with stand-up comedy. Yeah, without a doubt, right? Is it's, it's once again, is it's pushing comedy into new boundaries. And what's more beautiful than finding new places to go? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which I think, I wish there was more of that, you know, celebrating that. Yes, I agree. Well, it's, Unfortunately, like a lot of people want to do it, so it becomes more of a rat race than it becomes more of a hey, let's celebrate everybody and let's build the community. And you know, yeah, the audience is also like, uh, yeah, you know, alternative means alternative to the mainstream, you know, exactly. So So they don't think that they're going to connect with it, you know. I think Mm -hmm. uh, most people connect with um, most people, I think. They connect with a comedian that they feel is a version of themselves. Yes. You know, so if they're like, they see a guy, I think if, if a lot of, you know, your average frat guy thinks he's like a beer drinking, you know, you know, womanizer. Yeah. Maybe not the best terms to use, but, you know, and they see a, a guy up on there st- on stage just talking about getting shit housed and, yeah. and, 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 and dating, you know, or, or it's why, uh, it's why marriage material is like the most you know, prevalent topic because everybody can relate to that. Everybody can relate to a guy on stage. So many people get married or have their friends get married yeah. or it's everyone can connect to that in some way, form or fashion, right? Yeah. So in theory, funny is funny, but you know, that being said, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, sometimes people do, I, you know, you know, people do weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Comedy clubs a lot of times don't like alternative comedy in there yeah. because they feel like the, I've seen the audience be like, what is this? Why is this person doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, and as a comedian, you're like, it's funny though. This, what this person is doing is very funny. Right. And they're like, mm-hmm. it, do, it doesn't, I, it doesn't resonate with me on a personal level. I think it's mm-hmm. fun. I was talking to my buddy, Mike Racine is a very funny comic one time we were talking about like, it's almost like you have a museum mm-hmm. and you have these paintings up. And, like, some people are able to, like, go in and be appreciate every, mm-hmm. you know, painting on a on an artistic level or, or you know. Uh, and then some people are like, why aren't the paintings of me? <laughs> it's very the, true. And if the paintings aren't of them, they're like, yeah, I don't care about it's it. Like, I, don't, I yeah. don't care. Like, oh, oh, nice. It's, it's of mountains. I'm a farmer. I don't care yeah. about that. Like. <laughs> Because I would talk to the other people in the Andy Kaufman Awards, and they would be like, yeah, I, you know, mm-hmm. funny should be funny, but I have a hard time making my set work in all these, you know, different, you know, mm-hmm. places. That being said, you know, you got a lot of, like, killer club comics have a hard time making mm-hmm. their act work in an alternative room. Yeah. Because the alternative room has the expectation of, like, oh, I thought this was going to be a little more unique and mm-hmm. very... I, th- I thought it was going to be a little more out there right yeah because 
we're gonna explore a little bit more. We're gonna adventure here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It definitely is. Okay, so you've performed on tons of stages over the years, tons of traveling. Oh yeah, many places. Do you have any, like, do you have any stages that like really like? you feel just like made it for you or just like a crowd that was like really special or like any memories from the road that. Hmm. You know, I think like, I think like this, you know, like this tour is pretty great. Yeah. You know, I, you know probably touring on a cruise ship is probably the, thing that pops first into my head yeah because it was making i was touring with second city and uh i was doing like sketch improv and stand-up uh three shows a night uh, every other night mm-hmm. and it felt like show business you know it felt okay. like you know costume changes and running around and yeah and, and running lines and uh and you know and write and writing stuff you know because if we were if we were in Egypt that day and then, you know, we could write a sketch about, you know, the experience of the pyramids that night that mm-hmm. would resonate with everybody in the audience. Yeah, definitely. Just Connect there. there with them. Yeah. And so that was like, that was pretty awesome. And also trying to make your act work on a global level, you know, you can't mm-hmm. reference, you know, specific, you know, uh, American centric references or yeah. something because people in that are there, you know, from whatever, English-speaking countries or non, you know, English-speaking mm-hmm. country, you know, English-speaking countries not getting the reference. You also have to, you know, have something in there for the non-English-speaking people to sort of like still have it have an entertainment value. We had a lot of like mime stuff and yeah. sort of like just stuff that people were like, it was still funny, huh. you know, on a, on a different level. So that was, yeah, that was pretty cool and awesome, you know. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Were you just on one cruise ship or? I did. I did. I did one cruise ship for three months in Mexico and, and then one month in Alaska. That was cool. But the real cool one was going all over Europe. Really? You know, we were in England. and we, was, we went from England to Spain to France to Egypt, Morocco to Greece to Italy and all these places uh, in between and all these amazing cities and stuff. So that was that was we did it four months at a time. And oh, wow. Then, uh, I did two separate four-month contracts. Okay. So that was like... That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it wasn't, and also it was cool because like, you know, uh, you know, uh, cruise ship comedy has like sort of a bad reputation, but like we were working for Second City. Yeah. You know, so Second City, we were, we're doing like old Steve Carell sketches and, and, and Mike Myers and Tina, Tina yeah, sketches and sure. stuff. And uh, yeah, and then this sort of like, you know, do that. Plus like we would do talk shows and I would be the stamp comedian guest on the talk show. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool to do all that stuff. You know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So did you guys perform like multiple times a day or did you only perform one time a day? Like while you're on the, like on the sea or how we does did, that work? We did like, uh, we did like, we mostly performed on, on, uh, calm sea days. Yeah. You know, and so on C days we would do three shows and a seven, a seven, a eight, and seven, yeah, like eight, eight, nine, and ten or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and each show was different. One was like a sketch show. One was like a talk show. Then we play like match game or something weird like that. <laughs> um, 
But like those were like pretty, they were pretty great. They were pretty fun. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was just, and we also got to like, I also got away with a lot of like weird alternative stuff because like what was very interesting was that I got away with stuff day five of the cruise that I probably couldn't have gotten away with day one. Uh Uh-huh. You know, so I would be like, yeah, I would do like, by by day five, you people who like the show keep coming back, mm-hmm. and you do. You, we would do a different show every every time we perform. So they came back because there was like something new to see. It actually varies, right? Yeah, and so it kind of was cool because like by the time day five, we did this thing called it was called like a German cabaret where we brought these red lights down, and like the host came out and. He was like, you know, the German cabaret in this certain period, time period, people would do very weird out there stuff. So I got mm. I got to do, I did my monster character, which is just oh, a guy nice. doing, hey, I ain't doing nothing. He's just like a, a monster doing stand-up. Yeah. Which people were like, by day five, they like you. Mm-hmm. So they're now willing to let you kind of see they're, you have fun. They're a lot you know? warmed up to it, yeah, right? So yeah. they're willing to go on that adventure with you. Whereas opposed to if it was day one, they'd be like, get the monster comedian. I want my money back. <laughs> what is this guy doing? How did he even get on this boat? Is he a stowaway? You work here. <laughs> are, are, are you sure you're not the dish boy? <laughs> it's also funny, by day five... Oh, wait. By day five, they'll let you get away with stuff. By day ten, they're like they're starting to complain to, to you about the towels being dirty and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we never got our bread with our salad. I was like, all right, I guess the magic of me has lost. <laughs> oh, no doubt. So being on the road a lot and being out on sea and stuff, like sometimes you need comfort items or things to keep you. Like, remind you of home or keep you comfy while you're traveling. Do you have any personal items that you just can't live without when you're on the road? Like, alcohol and marijuana. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. I like to play pinball a lot. You know, that's like a a fun thing to do. I have a little app on my phone that tells me where pinball machines are in the area. That exists? Yeah. Yeah. What? Pretty great. And then it's, it's cool because like sometimes you're like, all right, well, I guess let's go to a bar. It's all there really is to do in life. It seems, you know, (laughs) but so it's like, well, what bar do we go to? Oh, this bar is pinball machines. So, you know, it helps us kind of pick a place to go to and like. It's kind of, and, and TJ's a big pinball guy too, so it's uh, it's pretty fun to like find a place and play some pins, you know, in some city. And mm-hmm. you know, we we definitely like. Oh, what did we do? Oh, we went axe throwing in uh, what really Calgary? Nice. Yeah, battle axe, B A T L. Uh, that was so much fun. Just oh throwing axes at these targets in this giant warehouse. That so, sounds really yeah. fun. Yeah, I guess they have like leagues there and stuff, you know? What? Yeah, so that was, <sighs> I think finding like, that's not really a home comfort, but I mean, yeah. finding things like that on the road. I'm, I'm actually more interested in doing something I can never do at home. Okay, that's getting a new experience. Yeah, but, it, but if I am going to do something familiar, like finding pinball machines is sort of my okay. teddy bear. You huh. know? That's always awesome. <laughs> Okay, so you kind of have some work behind and on screen as well. Do you want to kind of go into that? Like, you're just like, the No Outlet show is something that you've been working on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was sort of, uh, I really wanted to do a sketch show. 
And, uh, you know, I was just sort of like, you know, one of your jobs as a comedian is you write these packets all these times, these writing packets, and you submit them to Saturday Night Live and The Daily Show and, you know, Seth Meyers, all these talk shows. And Mm -hmm. uh, you wind up just accumulating a lot of material, you know. And and also, I've been with the sketch group for, you know, with Heavyweight so many years. And I was just like, fuck it, I just want to make a sketch show. Yeah, and I'm tired of waiting for somebody to like pull the trigger on me. I'll just make mm-hmm. it myself. So, I uh, yeah, when I'm just making like no outlet, which was just like all these some of my more favorite sketches that I had written over the years, and mm-hmm. just kind of wanted to have this weird stream of consciousness, connective tissue that I like to have in some of the stuff I do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a great it was it was a lot of fun to do. I'm really happy with how it turned out, and. Uh, um, you know, it's just sort of like this piece of comedy art that's out there. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to call it, if it's like a pilot or a film or a, or what it is, but it's just out there to enjoy. Uh, okay. And uh, But it was very fun, like, writing it and sort of working with, like, uh, this guy Chris Piazza um, directed it and, um, and, and Michael Cargill and, and Sean Rubin uh, helped produce it and sort of just that whole experience of, like, I mean, I started with just talking to Chris about it, and, and, and I talked to my buddy Sean about maybe bringing him in to help me with certain aspects of it. Yeah. And next thing you know, uh, I had like a 17-person crew. Holy. Uh, <laughs> I remember my, my roommate came up and looked at all the people in our living room. He's like, what have you done? You know? <laughs> but everybody was essential to making it as good as it was and um it just sort of building of like what we want this to be good or what's the best way to do that and Mm -hmm. um yeah it was a passion project and a lot of people gave yeah they're like these great efforts to make this thing so it was it was very interesting on so many levels like the production aspect of it the writing aspect of it you know being sort of like you know, overseeing all of the lighting and sound and, you know, bringing a makeup girl in to do the oldest man in the world bit. And, yeah. You know, and like, uh, and, and bringing like, uh, you know, we have this, uh, uh, we have, we had a uh, special effect guy, you know, that I never met. It was Chris's buddy, but, you know, okay. like communicating, you know, mm-hmm. all the ideas to him and seeing the brilliance that he brought to these certain things. Of it. it was really cool from that you know, aspect of it, you know, and I've done like, uh, you know, I did production on mashup for comedy central, which is a show that TJ and I did where TJ hosted. And, you know, I sort of was a producer on it, which was sort of, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, that's a, that's a uh, label they give you when they don't want to pay you as a writer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but that was like a, you know, you start wearing a lot of hats once Mm -hmm. that label's thrown your way and, and being like, you know, taking care of everything from figuring out like uh how to juggle you know people's schedules to you know figuring you know making wardrobe happy because they're trying to figure out who's being cast in this certain sketch because they're gonna have to figure out a costume that fits because mm-hmm. it's still and then you know or where this guy coming into town is going to stay you know yeah, but then definitely. also but also figuring out like you know an extra joke right here a bit right there how to make this thing funnier right here yeah even in the post-production like sitting with the editing guys and 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 seeing their brilliance of how they're editing together and sort of bouncing some things off of them of like you know, uh, a version of how it could flow and them mm-hmm. sort of like building on top of that to making it 
you know, as great as possible. So it's a very, you know, that's it's cool to be so collaborative on those projects. Like yeah, that. definitely. It gives you a lot of people to bounce ideas off of and build with, right? Yeah, it takes so many, you know, these things are so expensive to do, TV and movies, but it's yeah. because it's, it, you know, it costs a lot to have so many talents make it so great. Oh, exactly, right? It's you can either cheap out and you can get something that's, not very presentable or you can put the time and the effort and unfortunately the money into it and yeah you can get something much more out of it yeah yeah it's very interesting learning and appreciating all the aspects of it yeah, yeah definitely without a doubt is there any other like writing you've done for like tv or behind stage trying to think um i don't know man I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Fair enough. You, you know, I did, yeah. Let's, uh, I guess, you know, mm. I, well, I worked on Gore Burger for Comedy Central. Okay. So, yeah, there we did that, uh, which that was really cool, mm -hmm. you know, being, a, uh, being paid as a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that was a project that was like, uh, that was somebody else's idea that I was fortunate enough to be brought in. Okay. And it's sort of, but they were great to be able to be brought into something that was already in motion. You know, Goreburger was the show that was like on Funny or Die. And then it was on, you know, HBO about the pilot. But then they it didn't work for them. Mm -hmm. And then Comedy Central picked it up. And they wound up buying like eight episodes or whatever. Okay. And then being brought in at the Comedy Central part of the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And sort of like, you know, pitching episode ideas and arcs and segments and stuff like that. And then yeah. to be like receptive to this new guy coming in was really mm -hmm. cool. You know? That's awesome. And like, and then we had so many great guests on that show and like mm -hmm. pitching ideas of like, you know, what's a fun game to play with Larry King, <laughs> you know, or like, you know, or like, I think we had one of like, cause Goreburger, watch Goreburger. It's just, I think it's a really funny show and it's like, you know, it's this giant monster from outer space this, yeah. this like jim henson type muppet mm -hmm. you know that's interviewing all the it's then he takes over a japanese talk show <laughs> so it's right up my alley to write for you know oh it's exactly so right because it's so out there yeah and to be like well what if you know what if he is like this this holiday from his planet that you know he celebrates you know and mm -hmm. like and then kind of having the other writers in the room be like oh that, that, that there'd be some fun things we could do with that you know <laughs> and then like then hearing the things they'd already you know kind of established and me being able to pipe in and being like yeah the collaborative process is mm -hmm. is so great you know like that's why i think like working with other people is so fun heavyweight i, I worked on the critics choice awards mm -hmm. and wrote for that um and I worked with Heavyweight, which is like, you know, we have this thing now. We have this thing on Laughly.com or this, if you get this, it's, there's a Laughly app. But if you go to, uh, if you go to Laughly, there's Heavyweight and Heavyweight is me, TJ, Brady and Mark. And it's this sort of like stream of consciousness audio sketch show. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do like one a month. You know, they're going to be like mm -hmm. these 20 minute things that have all these like sound effects and <laughs> some weird stream of consciousness stuff again. Based on Spike the Vodka, which is other weird audio sketch show I did. <laughs> um, but, you know, we got to work together on Critics' Choice Awards, which was yeah. great to, to, to have these guys that we've been doing Chicago Sketch Fest for 10 years in a row in mm -hmm. Toronto and Dublin and, and then work together on the Critics' Choice. And You already have, like, a real, like, can't remember what the word would be like. You already work together very well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's so that's so fun to work with those that a team like that. Yeah, for the Critics Choice Awards, you know, and come up with weird, weird, you know, like mm-hmm. having shoot TJ out of the cannon with the cannon misfire, so it just his head shoots out of it. You know, and <laughs> have a disembodied head laying on the ground and be like, "We'll be right back," you know, and like in that sort of our sensibility and putting, yeah. putting that on TV is pretty hilarious. That's you know? fantastic. Just so they can be like, "What have we done? What have we let these people do?" Oh my God! We paid them. <laughs> They've done a lot of salvia, haven't they? <laughs> no doubt. How many drugs did they do when they wrote this? <laughs> <coughs> All right. Do you have any qualities that you admire out of other comedians that you've either watched or worked with? I think anybody doing something unique and different, I I like. Mm-hmm. I'd rather see somebody fail doing something I've never seen before than kill with another Starbucks bit, you know? Yeah. Um, or someone steals someone's axe. I, I, I don't know if we have to name names. But. Right. <laughs> Although I am impressed when someone steals an act and can still, like, deliver the material. Yeah. It's, it's part of me being like, you know, I'll still, you know... I, I still think you should go to hell, but uh, uh, I still think you should go to hell. But you're a really good actor or yeah, actress. You pulled <laughs> off stealing that material very well. <laughs> I think my buddies are the biggest uh, influence. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like you know Brady and Mark and TJ, and also like coming up with like you know so many comics from Chicago. You know, like you know Kamel Nagiani and Kyle Kinane and Pete Holmes and Hannibal Burris and. Uh, you know, and Jared Logan and Mike Bridenstine mm-hmm. and, you know, and just like so many, so many comics and, and also like so many improvisers, you know, in the Chicago scene that mm-hmm. were very funny to me. I think those are the biggest influence okay. of me, yeah, t- to me, you know, yeah. I mean, I can say Brian Regan is just so silly to me. He's like one of my favorites. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Andy Kaufman is so unique and Steve Martin is just, was able to like take absurdity and really make it, you know, palatable yeah, for everybody. Definitely. Um, uh, palatable. But like, uh, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, the, some of those guys just in watching them evolve and seeing how they got better taught me how to get better. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. A lot of material to pull from there, too, definitely. So you can definitely see how they grew and how they started out. Yeah. I remember, like, TJ one time, we did an open mic at this weird bikini bar in Chicago, and he just destroyed. And I was like, I go, that was, like, a really good set. And he was like, yeah. He goes, you know what's weird? Being on stage didn't feel any different than being off stage. Huh. And he's like, I felt that that's why that set went so well. Hmm. And like, it's those little micro conversations like that with all your buddies coming up over the years that stick yeah. with you, you know? And like, and just seeing like, seeing Kamel kind of like, kind of take a set and just like, kind of treat it like a sculpture and, you know, you know, kind of chip away and mm-hmm. making it tighter and better every time he, you know, in polishing it and making it better and better every time mm-hmm. he showed everybody this statue of a set, you know, it was like, like, wow, he's really doing the work of, you know, this isn't good enough. I'm going to make it even better and better well, exactly, and better and better. Right? You know? Like you see what you can tweak and you see what you can make better and you can see how, like, what did the crowd crowd react better to and what didn't they react to and how did it all flow? And yeah, 
it's it is it's like you can actually like choose to receive that or you can choose not to and if you don't like it's a lot harder like like you said it's like a statue like if you're not constantly like chiseling away at it yeah it's like are you actually putting in a full amount of work and are you actually going to get like that product that you actually want right do you do you have a david or do you have a gary exactly right? <laughs> nobody's seen the gary gary's a nice guy right. but so, so is my gardener <laughs> michelangelo's gary <laughs> michelangelo's gary he hidden didn't... deep 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 in his crawl space. yeah the catacombs <laughs> of frenzy uh... <laughs> he didn't spend as much time on that one as david so <laughs> That one, there was a little bit of a rush. The people put a, a quick order on it, and it just wasn't Amazon. The turnaround guys. time was just, you know, they went over budget. By the way, have you ever seen the, have you ever seen David? I went to Fran, or Italy where I saw it in, uh, I keep saying Frenzia. That's the, whatever the, um, uh, that's the Italian, I can't even think of the English translation of that Italian town, but uh, the pubes. On David are made. I, I, I will say, I looked at David, and the pubes mm-hmm. were like the most. It, I, I, it felt See, it like, felt like I could reach out and touch them, and they would be soft, even though they were marble. <laughs> I don't know why that stuck out to me more than any other part. See, that's it. It's like a picture you've ever seen of David doesn't really present that. Yeah, right. Is it like it doesn't really like show the pubes in a manner like. They always try and concentrate on the face and like right. shoot from underneath it, and it's. I think maybe, maybe the pubes are at eye level when you're there. I don't. I don't know what it is, but I really was like, I wanted to like touch it because I was like, it feels like it's gonna be soft, but I know it's hard marble. And I had a, I, 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 I was very. I felt maybe very it's uncom- just Play-Doh that hasn't dried yet. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the pubes. Look at the pubes. And I also was so self-conscious about it. I kept. Trying not to look too long at it because I didn't want other people to be like, is he just like staring at his dick? And I was like, nah, man, it's the pubes. Is this, is this guy comparing? Like, yeah, yeah. if he goes into the bathroom after this, like, maybe we should send security in after. <laughs> Walk up to the statue and pull out a measuring tape. I'm like, wow. I wish I was David. <laughs> Rock hard all the time. All the time. It's the oh, hardest flaccid dick I've ever seen. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the one guy who can actually <laughs> fuck himself. <laughs> I've never seen a curve like that in my life. Oh man, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful artwork. Alright, do you have any advice for any other comedians or anyone who's starting out or coming up? Um, find a, find a version of, of comedy that makes you happy, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that's the biggest one. Okay. I think like, um, I think like it's, uh, not everybody's path is going to be the path that makes you happy. I think if, uh, I think a lot of times everyone looks at comedy and is like, well, Jerry Seinfeld and that's yeah. the only path and the thing is there's a lot of people uh, that spend their whole career trying to be Seinfeld and they come up short and I think that makes them unhappy and I think there's a lot of people that try to be as successful as Jerry Seinfeld and they actually are mm-hmm. and they're still unhappy you know so I think like find a version of what you do you know like if you want to just do comedy 
I, I, you know, my buddy, I have buddies that like, they're just, I have some buddies in Chicago that like <laughs> never felt the need to leave Chicago. Yeah. And I think they have a family and I think they have a day job that they enjoy doing. It supports their comedy and they put on shows that are creatively satisfying and uh, mm-hmm. they have successes here and there. And I think that's, I think they're way happier than a lot of the comics that like moved to New York or LA and are beating themselves up every night and comparing themselves with everybody else. Well, when you set your bar to someone like a Jerry Seinfeld or a Jim Carrey or somebody else, it's right. how do you ever actually achieve that? Because once you get to that point, like what other people could consider that point you still think you're chasing it because you idolize that person. Yeah. How are you ever going to achieve the goals of somebody you idolize? You're always going to hold that bar way higher than you actually have to. Yeah. And you're going to judge yourself way harder than you have to. And maybe you're going to cut material that maybe shouldn't be cut. Or maybe like we said before, maybe you're going to pigeonhole yourself because you're afraid that mainstream comics are only have to be a... Jerry Seinfeld yeah. or something like that. I mean, I, I, that's a that's a big problem too. It's like you want to be the best version of yourself on stage. I think a lot of people envision a version of themselves um, eventually. Yeah, be that person now. If you if right? you're like, why well, I eventually want to be this guy who tells these crazy stories? Tell those stories now. I want to be a person who improvises with the audience. Do that now. What are you mm-hmm. What are you waiting for? Because, no, exactly. Because you're, you're not going to get there until you start doing it. Um, you know, if you just want to be a best version of yourself, too. The the, the, the most unique, the, the best thing you can do to set yourself apart from everybody else mm-hmm. is being the, the closest version to yourself because you're going to be more different. Because you're di- everyone's different. You yeah, know? of course. Uh, the more you start to do what you think other people want or what you should do or what's expected, that's where you're going to start being in the... Being in the mix of everybody, and it's mm-hmm. hard to set. There's a lot of very funny people out there. There's a lot of great comics out there. there. So it's hard to, for those people to separate themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, once I start he- hearing people talk about comedy in the terms of what it should be, it almost bothers me because, like, yeah. I, I feel like they're like, "Well, you know, you need to come out. You need to. You always need to like tell a little bit about yourself, and you need to say where you're from, and talk about your childhood and where you were born." Or if you're, if you're, you know, like socially unique in some sort of situation, you have to talk about that. And I, yeah. just, I just don't agree. Do that if you feel that's what your humor comes from. No, exactly. If you have a story to tell or if you have, that's where your jokes. If that's where they come from or yeah. if that's how you want to transition it, fantastic. But you don't always have to go about it that way. No, just, just, yeah. It's like, you know, you come at, like people coming out and being like, well, I know what you're thinking. I'm if so and so and so and so had a baby, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, I came from I came from this part of the country, so mm-hmm. that means this. Mm-hmm. And then, and I am, you know, this person, so I will sort of make a self-referential joke about the social uh, point of view of this to sort of get that elephant out of the room. Mm-hmm. And then and it's like if you don't don't feel compelled to do that. If you want to just come out and just fucking talk about your ankles you know or 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 talk or, or you know or, or you know you want to just sort of like talk about have a joke about whatever uh you know trains or whatever you are or, exactly. or just or you want to just just 
burp or whatever you want to do. Just Anything can do. be funny and if do it's told funny. in the right way. Yeah, don't feel like, don't ever do something you feel you should do. Just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. write scripts, too. Always be writing scripts. So when you, if you were like, well, I eventually want to be a writer, mm-hmm. ha- don't wait until someone asks you to hire you to write. Mm-hmm. You need to write years before you're ever asked to submit or be a writer. Well, that's know? how you build up the ability to do it, right? Is through yeah. practice. And then always people are like, oh, great, you're a comedian. Do you want to, what do you want to be? It's like, well, I love to write for TV. Mm-hmm. Great. What do you have? What do you mean, what do I have? You said you wanted to write for TV, right? Yeah. So have you written any scripts? No. I just thought I'd be funny and then someone would hire me and put me on a staff. It's like, mm-hmm. that's not how it works, you know? Well, that's it. It's like things translate different from a script to stand-up. So not everybody can do that. Right. So it's like, if you don't practice that, how are you actually going to get the feel of the difference for it? Yeah. Yeah. Just like stand-up. You, you, couldn't, you wouldn't expect to just go out and be... An amazing stand-up the first time you yeah. do it. Uh, conversely, your, your first script's not going to be amazing. Also, if it is, then great. You have that in the mm-hmm. back pocket. Have two or three at least. You know, so when, when eventually Johnny Hollywood comes up to you and is like, hey, what do you got? Like, well, I have three screenplays and five TV scripts. Mm-hmm. And the, then the agent's like, you're a workhorse. I want to work with you. No, exactly. I guess money and I get something to send to people to get you hired as opposed to just being like, he's funny. Watch mm-hmm. him on stage. You well, know? it's like if you're trying to write a book or like a book series or something like try and have more than one because it's not like a company is not going to be like, okay, we can put this on the shelf in two months. It's going to be like, okay, we have to go into production. We have to decide when we're going to release this. We have yeah. to time it properly. Yeah. Like, is the market going to be ready for it at that time? Like, you can t- you can wait a year after you submit your final copy of a book before it actually sees shelves. Yeah. Just because, like, everything that has to go into that. Yeah. 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 And that's it. It's like being prepared and having multiple copies. Like, if you, like, you can't just walk up to a publishing house and be like, oh, hey, I want to write this, and yeah. I think it's a great story, and they're going to be like, okay, so where's your manuscript? Uh, <laughs> and you're just like, it's all up here. Well, if, you, if your head. you bring me a drawing board, yeah. I, can, I can graph this all out, right. and I can make a web. And You got a cocktail napkin? <laughs> I think also, too, if you want to act, shoot videos. Make them look good. Uh, practice in front of a camera practice in front of a mirror like that's something that even like i do before i do like my mid rolls and my like like rolls at the beginning Mm -hmm. is it's like i do tongue twisters like i just sit there and i'll just listen to music and i'll just like sing along just warm up the voice and it's just like but you also like you know all that preparation you know before Mm -hmm. the warm-ups and everything but you also want to have like if you want to act have video of you how you look on camera on the internet or something mm-hmm. to show to people because I think I think a lot of comics and, and and are naive and they just feel that if I'm funny on stage people will picture me what I would look like in front of the camera or picture me it's as a writer not the same yeah, it's not all. the same and it's a huge difference and it's hard for somebody like a studio to take a chance on somebody if they know that somebody who actually has like on-camera experience is available yeah and that's the that's the tough thing too is like putting all your eggs and just stand up usually you have to diversify mm-hmm. your the lottery tickets that you're scratching and whether it's it's just do as much as you can you know oh like, exactly you do stand up but have like yeah 
people are touring off podcasts now, you know, mm-hmm. have the scripts, have the video stuff. No, exactly. Like, hopefully, eventually, I can build up to the point where I can tour around and do interviews, but... It's it is like right now I'm just building, but it's like it would be a goal is like to possibly tour around, do interviews and public speak or something, right? Like That'd be maybe great. even write a book. Like yeah. you have to diversify because if you're gonna spend your time in these things, you have to possibly see like what else can I possibly do? What am I capable of doing? What are my abilities and how can I show them the best? Yep. Yep. Cause it is like I try to like I'm trying to like get into writing books, so like I try and actually practice like writing out scripts for the beginning, and then like actually like getting used to like trying to get beyond like other shows for like interviews and other things. Like I practice talking through it. I'll talk through it in different tones, different yeah. like other things, so you can actually see like how am I selling this? Am I selling it really excited? Am I selling it low? Am I selling it high? Like. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the book and the podcast will both help each other out. You know? No, exactly. Also, know the alphabet, too. I, that's, yes. I am a big proponent of knowing all the letters in the alphabet mm-hmm. and, and finding out if there's letters that you don't know about. Yes. You have to, like, you have to be able to, like, range, like, having a vocabulary and being <laughs> yeah. able to use it is just, like... Right. Because, if, like, it's one thing I found, like, when I first started out is, like, I was, like, trying to, like, prep things but like i didn't have words like bigger words written down so it'd be like i'd keep using the same explanation words and it was just like man this sounds like crap because i just said like (laughs) exciting like 17 fucking times and oh yeah listen to yourself too that's huge no exactly like you actually have to go through and like i listen to like every one of my episodes to just be like okay that was shit it was like i actually like had it one time where like the first time i wrote a script for an episode like, I was, like, I actually, like, in that episode I wrote in, if you can go into our last episode and tell me how many times I say the word exciting, <laughs> I will send you free music. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I feel like such an ass. <laughs> yeah. That's how you learn, though. Oh, no, exactly, right? That's you have how to make you mistakes. Grow. Yeah. You have to make mistakes, because I had a podcast ask me, like, well, they're, like, still trying to build their material, and they're like, well, we're still trying to figure out, like, launching and stuff. And it was just like, like, do you have any hints for people that are just trying to launch? And I was like, just go for it. Yeah. They're like, literally? And I was like, I bought a microphone, hooked it up to my computer, and started booking interviews, like, that week. Yeah. They're like, seriously? I was, like, throwing episodes out, like, the first week, and I was like, what do you think of your first episodes? I told him, I was like, every podcaster is going to tell you whether you're 10 episodes in, 50 episodes in, 1,000 episodes in. You are going to hate your first episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a learning experience. Yeah, you get better, man. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so do you guys have, like, any interests outside of comedy, like, and besides, like, the on-screen work? I think pinball's it. pinball wizard (laughs) that's all i care about man i do that's amazing do you have a favorite like style of pinball or like anything with a lot of modes yeah yeah just throwing all that information at you like yeah we're going through bonuses and yeah you know it's like darts you know, uh, where you have to like close, you have to hit that shot to open up that shot, and yeah. that shot, that shot. If you hit this shot in that sequence, that opens up this thing, and that's <laughs> how you get the multi ball that that lights the extra ball and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then you have I, to get it through this little thing that spins this thing, it makes all the lights go off, and it's like, yeah, bonus points. I definitely need another hobby besides pinball comedy. <laughs> 
I have a third thing to talk about on podcast. No, no worries. Pinball wizard. That's okay. Well, you actually used to run your own Nick Vatterot podcast, where the Nick Vatterot show. The Nick where each week show. Nick Vatterot can't make it, and instead I, uh, yeah, played a character taking over. Yes, yeah, so there was many a multitude of characters. So yeah. I mean, do any of those characters travel with you or? Um, there, hey, hold on, let me just, hey, 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 hold on, I can't even, there's one, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, he's gotta be around. He was, he was actually in the first episode. Really? Yeah. Huh. You know, but the thing is, I'm never there. So it's, it's really hard to tell who's there to replace you, right? It's hard to keep track of it all. He was in, uh, it was the, uh, I think his name's Danny Friedman. Danny Friedman? Hey, Danny! Hey, Danny, are you here? I'm going to grab him, bro. All right, all right. You go grab Danny. Oh, what are you talking about, huh? Hey, what's going on here? It's me, Danny Friedman. I'm from the first episode of the Land of the Freedmen, where I talk about political America and how the liberals, the liberals, you know what the liberals want? They want, they want everybody to be dear. That's what they want, yeah. yeah everybody want to be dear, and yeah. they want to take away the guns. And they, want to, they want to take the guns and turn them into pipes to smoke what their marijuana. What are you going to do when all the deer start turning against the people if we don't have guns? You know you know what kills gear? A good a good guy with a gun. That'll a kill a deer. A good guy with a gun. What, what, what else could possibly no stop deer. deer? No deer has ever has ever in the history of the 5,000 years of the United States, no deer has ever once, once shot anybody. And you know why? It's because there's good guys with a gun. That's right. Good guys with a gun. And good deers with a gun, too. Yeah, we, I think we need to arm all the deer. We need to find which deers there are and let all the deers have guns so if a deer ever attacks anybody, the good deer are going to go ahead and take that deer down. They, they need to police themselves, right? I mean, if nature isn't policing itself, then it's all out of control. It's all out of whack. What are the we doing? Liberal America, if they could have it their way, a, a palm tree would be the president of the United States. Oh my god, I know, right? And Coconut would be the vice president. They, they, they like their goddamn coconut water. What is with them and their goddamn coconut water and the avocado on toast? Al Gore made a documentary uh, saying that uh, coconut water is uh, should be replacing all the water in the United States. And you should just have coconut water coming out of your shower and you should bathe with it and you should pee-pee in it in your toilet. Well, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm an American last time I checked my goddamn rifle card and I think that if I I want to go pee-pee in regular water and not coconut water, and that's my God-given right. You know, ah, crap. You know what? I gotta get out of here. I gotta, I gotta go and I gotta go and, and just throw trash on the ground and take a picture of it and and, and send it to send it to uh, 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 Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. You gotta send that straight to Tom Hanks and let him know that the left is just the wrong way to go. I'm Tom Hanks needs to know I'm tired of Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that guy is just—he's very angry at liberals. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of people get stuck on that, right? I mean, <laughs> hey, let me—he couldn't think of a guy at the end. Did you notice that? Uh, I he couldn't think know. of any liberal name at the very end there. He, 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 He's just mad at people. Yeah, he yeah. can't even think of <laughs> who he's mad at. at. There's no he's just, logic. Yeah. He, he just wants to, like, poop on fire and put it on someone's doorstep. Yeah, he was very... He talks about poop and pee a lot. And I love that his... his, his 
<laughs> the only liberal you can think of is Tom Hanks, which I'm not even sure. I'm, I mean, <laughs> not he's, a political guy. He, yeah. I, I would assume he's a left wing guy, but I mean, I can't really say for myself I either. I mean, yeah. like, who, who's to know if he's even right with I mean, these allegations? Coconut water, it's all made up. It's yeah. all made up. Like, I loved it. Like, <laughs> there's. That's actually not that far from like what Rush Limbaugh did on like <laughs> when he said the uh, hurricane coming to Florida was like a liberal conspiracy to sell um, like batteries and stuff like that. Right. Like, what are you lunatic? Trying to sell water and batteries and survival gear. Yeah. Yeah, our damn liberals are trying to buy up all of our camping gear so we can't go hunting. It's so funny, man. Oh, it's just it. It's, there's always like, there's always just a way to blame everybody for just like, oh no, it's it's this person and it's completely their fault. I was like, no, yeah. this is a complete act of nature. Like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. They think Harp is sitting up in the uh, Alaskan <laughs> mountains, just designing hurricanes, which to- is. Beaming, we we attacked, we attacked yeah. Haiti so we could put military bases there, and it's bonkers, man. It's. Oh. How could you possibly not just believe that, right? I yeah. Mean. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. We keep talking about America you know, with, <laughs> with with Reese being from New Zealand, and then you know we got uh, the tour managers uh, on on tour with us, the Canadian, and so the state of America is, is brought up a lot. And it's very <laughs> embarrassing, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can see how that is uh, a thing. Yeah, we'll trade you Justin. We'll, we'll trade you one Donald for one Dr- Justin if oh, you're down. Oh, like the uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan area would be all about that because they're, they're all about the blue. But yeah, they're, they're like really crazy because like the guy who is currently leading Canada's uh, conservative party is trying really hard to find a way to separate himself from... The alt-right aspect of everything, because lo and behold, the guy who is his tour manager also happens to run, like, the biggest alt-right website in Canada. And this guy doesn't believe that women, like, deserve rights. Like, he doesn't believe, like, that they should have be able to be paid the same wage as women. Like, it's just like, how did you guys choose this guy to lead your friggin' party? How is that? The world is becoming... Just everly more progressive, but then you got some there's guys like, just there's digging so their many heels. People, there's so many people that are afraid of change that they're just trying to like throw the anchor down back. Like they're trying to toss it back into the fifties, yeah. And they're just trying to like revert time. And it's like yes, like the fifties were the best time ever. <laughs> Shut up, Danny. <laughs> Like, it's great. Like, the economy was amazing back then. Everything was booming. But it's just like, things aren't the same. We can't just go back to that. Like, being being closed-minded doesn't suddenly make the economy come back and save America. Like, how the fuck does that save a country? That's the one thing they keep bringing up. They keep saying, make America great again. It's like, when when was this great time in American history? Because there are really has not been a moment in American history where it was great for everybody in it. You know? No, exactly. Like, there's always somebody that had it bad. Like you're, like, you're trying to say, let's go back to the 50s. Like, great. Like, we want to go back to segregating everybody and, like, we're going to separate everyone and, like, racism is still kind of a thing. And I actually wouldn't mind segregating Trump supporters. Or not. <laughs> 
we'll just we'll just move yeah. them all to yeah. like somewhere. Like he's got enough hotels, we can just load them all up in yeah. his hotels, right? Like make them come. You they have to use the back entrance, and I, I don't. I actually don't want to use the same water fountain as a Trump supporter. You know, like. <laughs> Make them sit cooties. in the back of the bus. They might have cooties, right? Yeah. Like, uh, let them know how it feels for a little bit. God, that would be amazing. I mean, they're they're that's they're, a Black Mirror they're, episode, right? They're there. trying really hard to play the victim right now, so I mean, they're really they're, they are trying to be. So maybe we should make them ride on the back of the bus right? just so that they have to actually experience it. That's actually not. It's a like they idea. actually like this is the first time ever they actually have to deal. With feeling shitty for being a shitty person. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to fight back for it. And it's like, oh, all these people actually got, like, rights because they're equal. And, like, we don't agree with that. It was like, well, that's because you're fucking stupid. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> watching the Canadian parallel with the American parallel with the left and the right. You know, mm-hmm. and it, like, there's, there's, you know, like, there's racism in Canada. And, you know, and, of course, I come up here being like, but you guys are all white. How is there racism? But then, mm-hmm. like, it's the, the Inuit tribes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a racism towards them. Oh, and, yeah. Like, and there's, like, a ton of Native American people in, like, the middle of Canada. Yeah. And, and they're fighting for their, there's a war. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. There's just so much going on with that, too. And, like, well... They're that like getting into that is just so deep because yeah. like they got screwed over so hard and like yeah. thankfully like, like every native everywhere thankfully oh of course right but like thankfully like this government finally years later decided to come up with a commission to apologize for it and actually like do research on it and everything and it's like okay like thankfully we finally got to this but it was like how, how did it take this long yeah like seriously like, we, we can't admit that, like, taking everyone's children and putting them inside of schools with priests was a terrible idea. Ha! <laughs> welcome welcome to Earth. Right? Like, no, like, his, history has only told us over and over and over and over again that this is a terrible idea, so let's try it again. Let's try and whitewash a bunch of people and fail. And they did, and it's very unfortunate, but let's let's not stay on that. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, that is a topic I can talk for for hours. So, okay, so, um, where are we? We're going to ask you a little bit about some stupid questions here. If Nick Vatterot could have a superpower, what would Nick Vatterot have? Ability to have change on me at all times. Oh, my. And change for other people. You know, you're at a meter, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you got like a, you got a $5 bill. Yeah. I can just show up and give you a change. <laughs> you're in an arcade. You so like, can, can, can you break this down? Yeah. That'd be perfect in the place for a guy who's always hanging out where there's pinball machines, right? right? I'd be a hero. You would be the actual pinball wizard. Because you'd be like, where the hell does this change that, keep coming that from? That would be my, uh, <laughs> that would be my, uh. Superhero name. Yeah, the pinball wizard. Just have it playing before you walk into the room, just so everybody knows. (laughs) That's funny. Clear clear the pinball machines. We gotta watch. It's going down. (laughs) It is happening. Okay, so if Nick Vatterot could be an animal... What animal party. would Nick Vatterot be? Party animal. Party animal! Yeah. That's... But also the face of a pig. Just the face of a pig? The pi- face of a pig, 
the I think like the the body of a falcon. So it would be like a flying pig sort of thing. I think a flying so pig. flying pigs would actually like you would actually want to be the flying pig. Yeah, but I don't want the body of the pig though. Okay. You know, flying pig is always like wings on a pig's body. Yeah, I want a pig's head, but fl- falcon body. Would we still be able to classify that as when pigs fly? Or does it have to be more pig? When pig than falcons, it is? you'd have to specify when pig falcons. When fly. pig falcons fly, yeah, yeah. So it would be a very specific breed yeah. of things. And or when would... falcons are pigs. I was like, yeah, that'll happen when falcons are pigs, and then I'll, <laughs> and then I'll come by and go. Anyone need change? <laughs> I think that'd be a nice sequence of events. If they I think it up. would be too. I think it really would be too. <laughs> okay, so this is a new question for me. So. What is the stupidest, the dumbest rumor you have ever heard about yourself? Uh, that I'm a cool guy. <laughs> I don't know who started that. It's completely untrue, it's right? Pretty, like, yeah, I mean, I play pinball. I uh, <laughs> won't shut up about comedy. I, uh, yeah, I smoke weed all the time. Oh, I do a lot well, of sort of loser things, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I live with my in-laws, and I, I have green card medication, and just record interviews with people and play with audio all day, <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, nerds are the new cool, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, I honestly don't think people talk about... <laughs> um, God, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I think people thought I was gay. I had a girl that I was... Uh, I don't know. It's not really a rumor. Yeah. But like, I I, I remember like having friends mm-hmm. that I I used to work with a girl for like years, mm-hmm. and one day we were hanging out, and she said just said something very weird to me, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Why'd you ask me that?" And she was like, "You're gay, right?" I was like, no, "I'm not gay. I'm like I've known you for like two years." <laughs> I just, I mean, you know, not there's anything wrong with that, but that's like always yeah, just a of weird course, thing right? of like mm-hmm. having he- yeah, that's always interesting too. Like a rumor out there that there's people perceiving you in a way mm-hmm. that you never. I remember one time I said to a guy at this work, he was like, he asked me for a cigarette, and I go, I don't smoke cigarettes. Yeah, and he goes, What do you smoke then? And I go, Crack. And he goes, Really? I'm like, Yeah. Like I got a real bad problem. And then that guy got fired the next day, and uh, I never told him I was joking. So there's a guy out there who just thinks I smoke crack like all the time. So I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. That is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Is that a rumor? Maybe. Maybe he's running around just telling people like, man, man, he's just. Crackhead I used to work with is touring around doing crack. Yeah, that guy does crack. Talking comedy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll start a rumor about myself. (laughs) Just spread some on your own. Go around before the show. Yeah. That'd be pretty fun. (laughs) Yo, did you hear that Nick Vatterog did this? As soon as you stand on stage, hey, that's that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Smoking crack. (laughs) They're <laughs> like, I didn't know gay guys smoked crack. And I'm like, no, guys, I'm not. I'm trying to be a pig falcon. <laughs> We're trying to make the pig falcon a thing, goddammit. Quit taking it to gay crack smokers. <laughs> We're not trying to push it in that boundary. God damn it. That's pretty funny. Uh, all right, I've held on to you for like a, almost an hour and 40 minutes now. Is there anything workable in here? 
Oh, I hope so. Is there so. any good stuff? I hope that there's at least something we can use. <laughs> we'll, we'll try and figure it you out. You whittle it down to 30 seconds. Going, Pig Falcon! Pig Falcon! And I'll, I'll just be like me stepping up to a promo and be like, have you ever heard of the wondrous Pig Falcon? Ha ha ha! Well, thank you for having me. Oh, no worries. Um, Thanks I for appreciate being on it. the show. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, check out Laughly. Check out the Heavyweight Sketch Show. All your listeners. Gonna ask where can we and, find you? Um, and... <laughs> yeah, for amusement only is the Comedy Central album I did. Oh, oh I, I meant I, to ask you about that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that was a pretty fun one to do. I've actually been doing so many because I do the director's commentary on it. <laughs> I was yeah. listening to that on the way up, and that was easily my favorite part of it. Oh, it was thanks. hilarious. I've been doing that a little bit on the. <laughs> tour is kind of like really some some of that in there yeah i got a new thing coming out called uh k-rock 90q point buzz really which is this concept comedy album i think i'm gonna drop it in january huh. it's just sort of like uh basically it's this idea of like just you listening to an fm radio station yeah but it's like it's like fake songs fake commercials fake like in studio drama mm-hmm. you know it's just completely ridiculous that is a yeah. fantastic idea yeah it's that pretty is fun. awesome yeah holy i'm gonna have to keep my eyes open for that one for sure and ears and ears yes that's that is definitely you don't have to sure. look at it definitely hear it definitely hear, well i'm gonna have to look to try and find it or else i'm gonna have to yell at somebody and just throw <laughs> my phone at them and be like google it show yourself <laughs> find him Show it to me! (laughs) Alright, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Alright, I want to give a big thank you, a huge thank you, to Nick Vatterot for stopping in and letting me talk to him. I guess I really stopped into his hotel room back when he was in Kelowna for the alternative comedy tour. The Just for Laughs alternative comedy tour. If you're in Canada, hopefully you caught that while it came through your town. If you didn't, well, it's too late. So keep your eyes open if Nick Vatterot is going to be in your area soon, because the man is hilarious. You can find him on Facebook. He's got a website. You can see his material on YouTube, on Comedy Central. It's all over the place. Go out there, find him, support the man. Check out For Amusement Only on Spotify. Like, the guy is hilarious. Check it out for sure. I also want to give a big thank you to Pure October for letting us use a couple of their tracks. Like I said, we started off the show with Superheroes Can't Save Everybody, but in the middle of the show, we played something special by Pure October. So big shout out to Pure October for hooking up the Desert Tiger podcast with fantastic music to keep you guys all entertained. You can find Pure October on Facebook at Pure October, and you can also find them on Bandcamp by looking up Pure October, and I suggest that you do, because those guys are fantastic. You can also find us here at the Desert Tiger Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Facebook, we're under Desert Tiger Entertainment. On Twitter, we are Desert Tiger Pod, and Instagram, we are the Desert Tiger Podcast. So give us a follow, we'll follow you back. And make sure to talk to us about what you love about this show. Give us some suggestions about things maybe you want to hear from musicians or comedians or whoever we may feature on the show. 
we have a lot of exciting and interesting things coming your way in the next month, and I hope you're excited for it. We got some really fantastic bands. And last but not least, we have to thank you, the listener of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Because without you, we would have no reason to do this every single week, because you guys keep us live. So thank you for subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, whatever you're listening to. Thank you so much. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. We got a solid five-star average. So thank you guys so much for repping the Desert Tiger podcast and for giving us the love. Because we love you guys and we're very thankful that you love us back. Our next show next week is going to feature Aviator Shades. Aviator Shades is a rock group from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. They take a lot of influence from the 80s and 90s rock and roll, and they're bringing that back into the 2010s, and they're bringing it with a vengeance. So I hope you guys tune in next week to our show with Aviator Shades because it is going to be fantastic. And as always, before we end the show, you know we have to leave you with a quote. Today our quote comes from the Queen song, Don't Stop Me Now. So, from Freddie Mercury. I'm a shooting star leaping through the sky. Like a tiger defying the laws of gravity. I'm a racing car passing like Lady Godiva. I'm going to go, go, go. There's no stopping me. Alright everybody, have yourself a great weekend and don't let yourself be stopped by anybody when you're having a good time. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.